joy to spend this time together to study God's good word. Will you grab your Bibles with me this morning? Turn with me to the New Testament letter of 1 John. If you're new to Holy Scripture, 1 John's in the very back of your Bible, just after 2 Peter and just before Jude and Revelation. If you don't have a Bible with you, we have plenty in the back of the room. We'd love to encourage you to grab one to follow along, uh, to just be in God's Word today, to get a thorough view of what He has for us. We continue in this series uh, today in chapter 4, and my focus will be in verse 18 through 21 as we reach a special part of the text. Excited to spend this time with you this morning. Let me read our text today, and we'll dive in. 1 John chapter 4, 18 through 21. There is no fear in love, but perfect love cast out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. God's good word. Amen. I want to start with verse 19 this morning. As it is really the anchor truth that helps us break down the rest of this part of the passage. As it starts with God. And starting with God is where we should always start. Amen. So let's look at 1 John 4.19. We love because he first loved us. To really begin to grasp this essential truth, we must start with the truth that John has already made most clear, maybe more clear than any of the rest of Scripture, in the fact that God is love. We read this in 1 John chapter 4, earlier in this chapter, verses 4 through 7, and in the, again in verse 16. Consider with me again verses 7 through 8. 1 John 4, 7 through 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Love is an eternal attribute of who God is. What this means is if you want to understand love, then we look to God. Love is not just an action of God. Love is God's nature. It's who He is. One may know something about human affection for another, but apart from the grace of God to redeem you and reconcile you to God, you cannot know anything about true love. Real love, true love, reflects who God is. It is holy. It is just. It's perfect. John clarifies that you cannot know or live out God's love if you do not know God. Because God is love. You can't separate love from Him. It is who He is. Unless you know God through the redeeming work of Jesus on the cross in your place, you cannot and will not know or live out true love. 
Because God is love. Instead, what an unbeliever has is a replica, a counterfeit. Those who are separated from God, who are dead in their sin, only know a man-made love, a counterfeit love. How do we know that? Because God is love. And those who are dead in sin and not redeemed for that sin through Christ are separated from God. They do not know God, therefore they do not know his love. If someone is separated from God, they do not know his love, and then therefore they cannot love others in true love, only replica love, only counterfeit love. It is impossible to live out God's love when only in the flesh. Only the person who is truly satisfied in God and saturated in his love can actually love truly. So, back to what John is saying here. Our love is only possible because God first loved us and put his love on us. We love because he first loved us. We would not, could not truly love without knowing him and being loved by him. Praise God for his love for his blood-bought people. Amen? Remember John's words earlier, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. So the words, what kind here, in the English is a translation of the Greek, potopos, which means to convey greatness. John uses this somewhat unusual word to convey vastness and an incomparable nature of God's love for his redeemed people. Oh, how greatly loved we are, church. How we want to know and rightly see the love of God, for it is a great encouragement to us. We want the love of God to be mightily at work in our lives. For any other source of love in our life is counterfeit or second rate. Consider the potent words of Paul when speaking of God's love for us in his letter to the Ephesian believers. Ephesians 1, 4-5 Even as He, God the Father, chose us in Him, Jesus, God the Son, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. He chose us before the foundation of the world. He chose his people. In love, it says, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. In love, God predestined his chosen people, his elect, meaning inspired by God's love, our redeemed destiny was decided before creation. For those who are of his elect, for those of us for whom Christ died, we are loved unconditionally before time began. Think about that, Christian. God's love was set on you before he formed you. Your life is purposed. It's purposed for redemption. It's purposed for an eternity with him. He loves you so much. God's love is set on you 
Not recently, not haphazardly, not because of your great performance, not out of pity because of your pathetic performance, but before you did anything good or bad, before we breathed our first breath, before all creation was made, He set out to destine us to salvation, to be part of His eternal family. Oh, how loved we are. So when we read, we love because He first loved us, we've got to be slow to really capture His love for us. Because it's what moves our love. It's been said, old theologian said it this way once, God always makes the first move in the game of love. Wherever true love happens, it's sourced by God who is love. Our love for others is a responsive love. It is never of us alone, as it is always out of the overflow of His love for us. Our love for others is the result of God's wondrous and gracious work in us. He's given us a gift. He's filled our cup so that we can love Him back and so that we can love others. Even our enemies. What is helpful is to see and never lose sight of the fact that God's love for us is not based on us. Don't ever get caught up in the fleshly concern, the unbiblical thinking that God's love for you is based on you. Because it's not. It's based on Him. And it's perfect. And it's complete. And it's holy. This is good news to our soul. Our love for others, then, is the result of God's wondrous and gracious work in us. He has given us a gift. He's filled our cup so we can love Him back and love others. We didn't offer anything for the Holy God to love us. All we did was to be actively against Him in sin. Romans 5.8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we must see that God's love for us is based on God. Praise God for this. Now take that to the next step as we look to understand what John's driving home here in verse 19. We love because he first loved us. That means our love for others is not based on them and it's not based on us. It too is based on God. This is what we must see. True love is not a commodity that we possess or steward apart from God. Why? Because God is love. It's not something that belongs to us. It's not something based on what others do or don't do. That's the counterfeit love game. 
That's the old man's game. True love is wholly based on God, on who he is, on what he has done to put his love in us, to fuel us to love him back, to love others, friend or foe, to love them selflessly. To love them in an enduring way. Why? Because that love is not based on their performance. That's how we can love them selflessly. Remember going back a few sermons as we work through this text more thoroughly. We can love them selflessly because what one would look to gain or acquire, I don't need out of them. I have it fully in God. So their performance doesn't gauge then how much I love them because it's an overflow of God's complete love in me. I pray that's helpful under your feet. Now let's go back to verse 18. 1 John 4, 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. God is love. God's love is perfect. It's complete. This means that we are lacking nothing in God's love. When we have been loved by God, like we have been in Christ, we are satisfied in God's love, and therefore we do not lack any good thing. God's love is so potent in our lives that it carries us through whatever we're going through. Even the worst kind of suffering, we have all we need in Him. If we are in God's love, I don't need anything else to complete me. I'm complete. I'm satisfied in Christ, in God's love. Now, And forever. The Christian who's looking for something else or someone else to complete them, to come into their lives, to satisfy them, to make them happy, is missing the very essence and fullness of the love that they have in God. The completeness we have in Christ it's, it's, it's to put on the old clothes and think I need something else to work out so that I can be satisfied and fulfilled Christian. We don't do life that way anymore. I have the fullness of God's love at work in my life. If you're struggling with this, brother or sister, if you've been caught up and going, man, this isn't working out, and so I'm really feeling undone, and really feeling so woe is me, and, and life is so miserable, then I would just love you enough to say, repent of that thinking. Make war with your weak flesh. Christ in you is stronger. And walk by faith in Christ and not by sight. Put on those good truths. That he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And so David said it so well, Psalm 23, 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Why? Because I'm satisfied in God. The Lord is my shepherd. I have him, I know him, I know his love. 
Paul said it so well in Philippians 3, 7 through 8. Whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. What he's saying there is nothing else has to work right according to the flesh. It's loss. I am filled, I'm satisfied in the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. My Lord, my shepherd, my redeemer, my God. When the redeemed know God, then we have the love of God. So this is a filling of our cup that leaves us needing nothing else, wanting nothing more. And therefore, what this means is those in God's love are able to love others without needing them to perform back. Or even love us back. And so when you get to that moment where you're putting on some old clothes, I have these moments too. And I'm kind of feeling a little gypped. Like, man, can I get a little love back from you? I feel like I'm loving you pretty well lately. Did I make war with that very thought? Fool, like, you're complete in the Lord. Why are you putting on old clothes? Why are you putting off your reality in Christ to play the replica love game? (laughs) And that's good reorientation for my soul. And then it sets me up to continue to properly love those around me not dependent on others' performance. Our loving others, those outside the church, and our loving one another, those inside the church, is something we do without expecting or needing anything in return because we have all we need in God's love for us. Oh, church, we need to know God's love rightly so that we don't turn from it and demand others to perform or provide what we think we need in order to love them. We need to be satisfied in God's love through and through. Because we are not lacking, we need not fear anything in creation. Because fear is based on what you can lose. Right? You fear what might happen that takes something you love something on the horizontal to change that you would lose it and so that's why you fear sinfully john says there's no fear in love perfect love cast out fear for fear has to do with punishment whoever fears has not been perfected in love so when john says fear has to do with punishment he's speaking of what you can lose When we are full and satisfied in God's love, we have nothing we can lose or or be taken away in Him. I I have God's love unconditionally, Scripture tells me. Eternally, Scripture tells me. Perfectly. Based on Him, not on me. Based on Jesus' perfect and finished performance in my place. So this allows me to not have to fear what I'm going to lose or what the ways punishment might happen in the horizontal. Paul speaks to this so well in all of chapter 8 of Romans. I would encourage you to meditate on this chapter later as a follow-up to this morning. But let's go there. Turn with me to Romans 8 for a moment. Let me just give you a quick tour. 
And you just see how this continues to just be such an emphasis here. And while you turn there, let me say this. The idea of punishment, it should be very foreign to God's redeemed people. Largely because God's word has declared that we are delivered, redeemed, ransomed, pardoned, propitiated from the penalty due sin because Christ's atonement on our behalf paid for it. So so Paul says clearly right out the gate, Romans 8 verse 1, "There, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We have no fear of punishment because that there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. This is God's promise, His declaration to us. Paul continues in verse 14 through 17, Romans 8, 14 through 17, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. The Christian not only doesn't fear what might happen on the horizontal, we are willing to suffer on the horizontal, to suffer with Christ, to be ones who would take up our cross daily. Recognize that's the life of a Christian. I'm going to be with him in glory. I want to serve him now. I want to suffer with him now. I, only don't, I not only don't have fear, I lean in to, to the hardships of this life to suffer with my Lord. Unrighteous fear... Understand this. This is so big. Unrighteous fear is in itself a degree of punishment. To live in fear, to be in fear, is to be experiencing the earthly penalty of punishment already. Christian, don't live there. You need not fear. You are complete in the love of God. And that cannot be taken away. You cannot lose it. Born-again Christians who are adopted into God's eternal, eternal family are fellow heirs with Christ. What do we have to fear? Look a little further in Romans 8, verse 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? What do we have to fear? Whom do we have to fear? We have the eternal perfect love of God put on us. If God is for us, if He dearly and eternally loves us and bought us and secured us, who can come against us? Who can take us? Who can get us? No one. To say that there is someone who can do that is to say there's someone greater than God. And that's heresy. To know and abide in God's love is to be perfected in God's love. 
Paul continues, Romans 8, 35-39, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Do you see Paul's driving point here? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Can that happen? Well, let's talk about some really serious things. Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, or danger, or sword? It is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. See it. See God's word. Sola Scriptura is such a blessing, church. You're perfected in God's love. Cut my head off with a sword. Strip me of my clothes. Starve my body. Can't separate me from the love of God. Amen? In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You have nothing to fear, Christian. We have nothing to fear. We are steeped eternally in God's amazing love for us. Know that. Don't say amen on Sunday and then put on old clothes on Tuesday. Keep getting dressed in these truths. Know it. Speak it to yourself. Speak it to your family. And so with all that under our feet, hear hear John's words again here in verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. This means a person who fears has not been perfected in love or they've not yet come to know the perfect love of God that lacks nothing and loses nothing. If you have come to know the perfect love of God and you have foolishly, selfishly, in a fleshly way, put on the old clothes again, that has equaled fear in your life, then confess that as sin and turn from it. That's repentance. And don't go back to it. Those clothes are miserable. What this does is it not only builds up our confidence and faith, it allows us to truly love others selflessly. It allows us to love them faithfully and enduringly despite their performance. And we need this. We need this when you get around that person that's really hard to love. <laughs> and they're working against you, man. They're coming against you. They're glaring at you. They're rolling their eyes at you. They're tripping you when no one's looking. And we need this to put it on that I would love them despite the ways that they're sinfully at work.
There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. Read that rightly. Perfect love. Not your perfect love. God's perfect love at work in you. You love because he first loved you. Fear us to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Look with me now at verse 20 and 21. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God who he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. If what a person says about themselves is contradicted by their actions, by the way they actually live their lives, they are a liar. It means they do not tell the truth about who they are. That To claim to know God, to claim to have fellowship with God, while the life you live is one of unrepentant sin and darkness, is to lie. It's why you need to examine yourself before going to a place of public testimony like the Lord's Supper. This was John's emphasis earlier in his letter, 1 John 1, 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Intellectually, light is truth. Darkness is deception. It's ignorance. Morally, light is purity and righteousness. Darkness is evil. Listen to Jesus' words in, in the Gospel of John twelve forty six. I have come into the world as light. So that whoever believes in me may not remain in the darkness. The negative side of what Jesus is saying here is whoever does not believe into him remains in the darkness. And so I ask you, are you struggling to obey the Lord? Are you struggling to call his ways good? See that that is a faith issue. It is an idolatry issue, clinging to the longings of the flesh, clinging to the darkness. You have to see in your sin, apart from Christ, you are addicted to yourself. All you can think about is you, what you want, what you think is best, what you don't have, what you think you deserve. In this, your default is not to die to self and trust in Jesus. You don't humble yourself and obey God's way even when it's hard. No, you do what you want to do. We must see how desperate we are to see Jesus, trust in Him to be our Savior and our Lord. You need to literally stop reaching for answers in the darkness. Stop looking for the ways of the darkness. Stop drinking in the darkness and reach for Christ alone who is the light. Drink in the light. Trust in the light. His ways are better than our ways. Only in Christ do we know the light, embrace the light, walk in the light. There's nothing more central, more important than this. Until you address this, all you're doing is shuffling pieces around in the dark. The false teachers of that day, and many still today, 
hold to a belief that you can know God or somehow be on good terms with God and yet still live in unrepentant sin. But God's word is clear. 2 Corinthians 6.14 What fellowship has light with darkness? The simple truth is to live in the darkness is to live outside of the revelation of God's character and will. They cannot blend. You cannot do both. Jesus said it clearly, Luke 16, 13, No servant can serve two masters. You will hate one or love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. So those who claim Christ, those who claim they are good with God, while they walk in unrepentant sin, while they do things their way instead of God's way, are deceived, and God's word says they're liars. John says here they don't practice the truth. Sadly, all too many people have convinced themselves that still they're good. Their so-called faith in God, their mental assent of the truths of Scripture, but, but they're living according to their flesh. They stand their ground on what seems right to them, what feels right, instead of what God says is right. How sobering and sad it is when those who claim to know God prove to only love the darkness. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. This is straight talk from John. Simple and essential evaluation we must make of ourselves and others. If we truly love God, we will love our brother and sister. Not because our brother or sister is great. They could be miserable. But because the love of God is at work in me. There is... If we do not love them, then we're lying. If God's love is at work in you, truly, then you will love others. We love because He first loved us. God's Word is so clear. Because you know God's love now, Christian, the Lord is your joy. The Lord is truth. Not your feelings, not your passions, not your circumstances. To say Jesus is Lord is to say you have fellowship with God and then to walk unaccountably, unrepentantly in sin is to then lie about your standing with God. Jesus said it clearly in Matthew 7, 16. You will know them by their fruits. A lot of naive Christians um, who believe that you can lose your salvation just have not studied Scripture well. Just, just read the Gospel of John. Jesus talks all the time about superficial faith. What, what he's doing there is he's showing us there are many people who will look like they're in the game and prove to not be. Prove to have only had superficial faith, not saving faith. You do not have saving faith and then lose it. God does not miss 
Jesus' blood was not spilled for someone who somehow rejects and walks away. He spilled his blood perfectly. Everyone whom God chooses, he saves. Everyone who he opens their dead heart sees him, claims him, believes in him, stays with him. They might struggle, but they will finish. That's the teaching of Holy Scripture. You want help seeing that? We'll show you. It is all throughout. So what that means is that there are some who will look like they're saved and then prove to not be by a consistent testimony of unrepentant sin, by their fruit. You will know which tree they're part of. And some will say, I know I'm really caught up in all this sin, but, but God knows my heart. <laughs> Man, yeah, he does. That's such a damning statement. Somehow people put that on like somehow I'm safe in that. No, no, no. Yeah, God knows your heart. He knows your real motivation. He knows who you really belong to. And scripture is clear. If you truly belong to him, you will repent of your sin and turn from it. Instead of making excuses, instead of trying to press the blame onto someone else or something else, you will confess it as sin. You will press into his word, press into the church, press into accountability, and you will grow. That might take some time sometimes. Sometimes people really struggle for a while, but they will return. We must not lie. We must do what is true. If you truly belong to God, you will tell the truth about God and who he is and what Christ has done to save us and transform our lives. And so let me just ask you to take some inventory this morning, Christian. You who claim saving faith in Jesus. In what ways are you potentially guilty of not walking in the light, but walking in the darkness as of late? In what ways are you rejecting God, His Word, those He's put over you to lead you in truth? In what ways are you withholding love, practicing sin, staying upset, not forgiving another, looking to something in your circumstances to bring you satisfaction and joy? These are the things we must confess as sin and turn from them in the power of Christ to do what glorifies Christ. And can I just lovingly say, don't go at that alone. Christ has saved you into the body. Don't be a right middle finger knuckle flip-flopping on the ground trying to do what's righteous. You are saved into the body of Christ. Benefit by all of the body. Bless you with a local church that knows you, that you're accountable to, to walk this road together. One of the greatest ways you remain deceived and stuck in the darkness is to keep your struggle to yourself. Don't do this. Invite in trusted blood-bought family who will love you enough to speak truth into your life. The perfect love that drives out sinful fear also drives out sinful hatred of others as well. This means because God so loved us, we will love others. Therefore, the person who does not love others, especially one another, is the evidence that God's love is not in that person. Hear it again. If anyone says, I love God, hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God who he's not seen. 
If a person cannot do the easier requirement of loving a brother or sister who they have seen, they cannot do the harder requirement to love God above all else whom they have not seen. The unseen God is seen in the life of Christ, but also he is seen as his attributes of love go to work in his redeemed people. But again, true love is not something we do apart from God. Again, this resonates with what John said earlier in his letter, 1 John 3, 14-17. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, that we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. If anyone has the world's goods and see his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how how does God's love abide in him? John is saying, if you have the means, the opportunity, and yet selfishly refuse to help his, your brother who's in need, God's love does not abide in you. James said it this way, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed, lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warm, be filled, without giving the things needed for the body, what good is that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. Where's the fruit? Where's the love of God in you at work? True faith will show the fruit of the Spirit, produce a lifestyle of sacrificial love and work that that you didn't do prior to being saved. True faith will find its way to action. It will show the evidence of being born again by God. If a person's belief shows no real evidence of spiritual new birth, regeneration, which then produces the fruit of the Spirit, the evidence of spiritual life, the true love of God, then what you have is not saving faith. It's a faith that's good for nothing. That's James' point. It's superficial, not saving. Our faith in God means we will live for Him. We will love others selflessly and sacrificially. This is Jesus' sobering point in Matthew 25, 41-46. Listen to the words of our Lord. He will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. Then they will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? He will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into the eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Are we saved by what we do? No. The evidence of our salvation will testify as to whom we truly belong. 
The true evidence of saving faith is faith at work in good deeds that honor God and sacrificially serve others. Consider James' words again there. First, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? First John 3.17, it doesn't abide in him. That's the point. The complete opposite is true. The, the love of God at work in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus for undeserving sinners like you and me. And so look with me at verse 21, 1 John 4.21. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. The great commandment, Matthew 22, 37-40, he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. We cannot truly love God and then disobey His command and work to withhold love from others. They're inseparable. To love God is to love His people. He's the head, we're the body. He's the groom, we're the bride. If you're passionate about the Lord, you will be passionate about His people. Can't separate the two. The starting point every time for loving anyone else is the Savior's love for you. Jesus said this explicitly in the Last Supper discourse to His disciples. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. This is a special commandment to the church, to the new covenant people. We love one another. He's the source. He's the pattern for love. We love because He first loved us. Don't miss, church, that this is a commandment. 1 John 4.21 And this commandment we have from Him. From who? From Jesus. Your Lord, your Master, your God commands us. So therefore, this is not a recommendation I might consider to do sometimes, once in a while, when I feel up to it. What does this mean? It means I'm in sin if I choose selfishness instead of love. I'm disobeying the commandment of the Lord if I choose laziness instead of love. Pride instead of love. Hate instead of love. Church, Jesus is our Lord. He's our authority. This is His commandment to us. His blood-bought people. And this commandment we have from Him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. John's charge is clear, built on Jesus' command given John 13. We are to love one another. May we take the command of our Lord so seriously every day that God gives us under the sun. In Christ, we have access to the source of love. In Christ, we have the pattern of selfless love that we didn't have before. In Christ, we truly can love one another like never before. In Christ, we love because He first loved us. Amen?
Let's pray and worship God together. Father, we thank you for this time together in your word. We thank you, Lord, for your love, your eternal love, your love set on us before you created us, your perfect will to redeem us, to bring us into your fold, to adopt us, to keep us. Nothing can get to us. Nothing can separate us. So we have no fear. Let us walk in your love for others. Let it spill over. Let it go to work, not based on their performance, not based on our mood, but based on you. Do that work in us, Lord. Do it like never before. Do it as you redeem us, as you convict us, as you sanctify us moving from this place. We celebrate the grace that you've given to save us and to go to work in our lives. Do that work, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name we pray.